will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Alfred Nobel made a fortune through many inventions, the most famous of which would be the explosive known as dynamite. And Nobel assumed that the invention of dynamite would put an end to all wars because so many people could be killed at once that no reasonable person would want to begin a war. Of course, that assumes that the world is full of reasonable persons. Well, it's, it so happens when Alfred Nobel's brother Ludwig passed away in 1888, a French newspaper got it wrong. A French newspaper mistakenly published Alfred's obituary. And so Alfred had the opportunity to read his own obituary, and he was disgusted to learn how the public actually viewed him. The newspaper condemned Nobel for his invention of dynamite, calling him the merchant of death. The headline of the obituary read, The Merchant of Death is Dead, and went on to say, quote, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Now to Alfred, this obituary was a warning. It inspired him to change his will and to improve his image. He decided to leave 94% of his estate to a series of annual prizes recognizing human achievement in peace, science, and literature. You see, through that obituary, Alfred Nobel was enabled to see or catch a glimpse of his future, and it changed the way he lived. His future changed the direction of his life. And that's really the theme for today. Roman numeral one on the back of your bulletin. Allow your future to inform your present. Allow your future to inform your present. And I quote from our, our gospel lesson for this morning, verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled will be humbled is a passive voice verb, meaning by God, he will be the humbler. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, passive voice verb, will be exalted by God. Russell Davies was telling me a story um, of going to a wedding reception. I guess uh, Hannah was in the wedding party and this was her best friend was the bride and um, the, the Davies family entered the reception hall, sat at, at the back. They were just happy to be invited. And a little later, uh, the maid of honor comes to their table and says, no, no, you don't belong back here. You belong up in the front. And so they moved them, they promoted them, so to speak, up to the front of the uh, reception venue. And Russell shared with me, it felt real good to experience that elevation, so to speak. And that's really what our Lord is talking about as well. And point C, 
This whole dynamic summarizes the scripture and it summarizes the, mess, the mission of Jesus Christ. And I cite Philippians chapter two, where uh, St. Paul describes Jesus in this way. He was in very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You see, what we, what we see in Scripture is this rhythm of humiliation and exaltation. You have debasement and you have glorification. For example, Abraham, in the book of Genesis, is childless. He's childless before he becomes the father of a multitude. Joseph experiences slavery and imprisonment in Egypt before he's elevated to become prime minister of the land. The Israelites were enslaved in Egypt before the Lord delivered them from bondage with a mighty outstretched hand. David was a youth and a lowly shepherd whom the Lord elevated to be king over Israel. Jesus, as you know, was born in a cattle stall. He was nothing more than a carpenter, but he became even less by becoming the servant of sinners, dying in our place at the cross. And therefore, we read, God exalted him to the highest place. It is this rhythm now of humiliation followed by exaltation, which is prescribed for all who follow Jesus. Peter wrote, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And that brings us to Roman numeral two. Jesus is not teaching the appropriate way to get exalted. Like, okay, there's a inappropriate ways to get exalted, but then there's the appropriate way to get yourself exalted. No, that's not it at all. Jesus is not saying here, well, you know, you gotta be kind of sneaky about this. Be humble for a while in order to get God to exalt you. Letter A, this is not a lesson in self-promotion. It's not about self-promotion. This is a lesson in self-abasement, self-denial. Number one, what does it mean to humble yourself? And I cite Luke 18. This is the story of the, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now the Pharisee is very proud, strutting his stuff before God. And the tax collector would not even stand near God. He stands at a distance. His body language says it all. He lowers his head, he beats his breast, and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's humbling yourself. To humble yourself means that you know you have nothing to offer God except your sin, and therefore you are completely dependent upon him for mercy. Number two, and this is a quote from St. Augustine. It's a great quote. All vices manifest themselves in wrongdoing, but pride lurks also in our good works. Pride lurks also in our good works. You see, even in our good works, 
there is sin. That's why we could never merit eternal life. We could never earn our way to heaven because sin is present even in our best efforts toward God. And that's why the self-sacrifice of Jesus is so necessary. That's why it's so vital. You and I cannot draw near to a holy God apart from Jesus. We can't be heard in our prayers apart from Jesus. That's humility, to confess that, to know that. It's not to elevate yourself above anyone else. It is to put yourself in the proper place, unworthy before God and before all people. Now, if you notice verse 12, when you give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, this does not mean you can never invite your family to dinner, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't limit your giving to get repaid. Don't give in order to get repaid given such a way that you cannot be repaid. Why? Because that is the way God gives to you. Number three, God gives to us in such a way that we can never repay him. You see, verses 13 and 14, take a look at those. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. Now, that's not just advice for us. That is a picture of what Christ did for us at the cross. We were helpless in our sin. We were blind, spiritually blind and poor and crippled before God, but he came to us and welcomed us into his eternal kingdom. And true humility is to believe just that, that you have nothing at all to offer God. Therefore, Jesus must do everything for you by suffering and dying in your place. Lowercase a, mercy is a new lease on life. That's what mercy is. It's a new opportunity to live. And B, forgiveness is the gift of a future. Forgiveness is the gift of a future. Sin destroys relationships, and, and it potentially destroys the future that you have with the other person. But forgiveness creates a new relationship. It renews the relationship with that individual, and a new future becomes possible. That's the power of forgiveness. In Roman numeral three, I'm citing Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And I quote Rabbi Hillel, letter A, my humiliation is my elevation, and my elevation is my humiliation. See, Rabbi Hillel knew this. He could endure humiliation because he knew that it was but the prelude to exaltation. His future, you see, informs his present. In fact, his future transforms his present. We read a couple weeks ago in our epistle reading, Hebrews 11, it's that great chapter on faith. And uh, it, it records how believers of old, they were mocked, they were flogged, they were stoned, they were sown 
uh, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. But they endured such horrific things because they were seeking a better country than the one in which they lived. They were seeking a heavenly country, a better future. They endured such things because they knew something better lay ahead for them. St. Paul put it this way, the sufferings of the present are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You see, this is how God works throughout history. And, and if we're attentive, we can see examples of it every day. I was driving down Rocky Ford this morning, uh, coming to church, and I, I passed by Weston Edge Drive, and I could look down Weston Edge, which is under construction, and I thought, what a mess. You know, it, it looks awful right now. And, and I have no doubt that the residents who live along Weston Edge find it challenging to come and go from their homes because of the construction mess. But I also assume that the residents along Weston Edge can endure it because they know it's not gonna stay that way. They know that a day is coming when they'll have a beautiful new street, curbs and gutters, sidewalk, and a wonderful people trail going by their home. It makes it all worth it. And that's how God works. Letter B. Our future in Christ relieves the pain of the present. It relieves the pain of today, the shame that we bear today, making the present bearable and even joyful. Even joyful. I cite Matthew 5, <clears throat> where our Lord says, blessed or fortunate or you know, enviable are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and that is good company. My friends, better to suffer rejection with the people of God than to be accepted by a world which is passing away. Now as Christians, we don't seek out suffering, but it will find us when we're associated with Jesus. And when it finds us, we do not refuse it because we know that it will not last. The rhythm of God's kingdom is suffering first, then glory. Your future informs your present suffering and it transforms it into something that is noble. Your humiliation today is but a prelude to your exaltation by God tomorrow. Remember that. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.